Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And today we're going to be discussing Mandy. How's it going, John? It's going well. This is the second time I watched this movie, so I picked up on a lot more things this time around. How are you doing, Mer? Awesome. Uh, <laughs> How many times have you seen this movie now? Three. <laughs> this was and my first time. I like that. Three, two, and one. One. Yeah. And Mitch watched the, well watched the first it really time tonight. It gets better yeah. every time. Yeah, I need to go watch it again, probably. I got to show my friends this movie. Right. So, so, so the movie is Mandy, if you didn't catch it the first time. Came out in 2018. And so it's barely, barely like a year old. I actually got to pull up his name real quick. So keep going while I find that. Yeah, I know that it was made by an indie filmmaker. Um, and it stars Nicolas Cage, of course. And it's a lot of fucking fun. It's a really fun movie for sure. Also rife with horror elements. Really trippy as well. Really trippy. Directed by, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Panos Cosmatos. All right, all that right. sounds that sounds pretty. That sounds like what I interpreted it as on the screen as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> what's crazy about this film is it's got really good reviews all over Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. It's like at a ninety-four, but a lot of audience members did not like the film. Yeah, it has a six point six on IMDb. As of I don't today. know if maybe they just didn't understand what was happening, or it was just too out there and they didn't really want to dig into it. I feel like it's a, a mix of too out there and pacing. For general audiences yeah it's got a slower pacing you actually don't get the title credit where it says mandy until about midway through the movie. one hour into the movie <laughs> yeah. they put the fucking title credit they up. do just the the credits for all of the people who wrote it the ones who did the music and things like that right at the beginning and then it goes right into a slow burn movie at right um that kind of explains red and mandy's life living in the woods uh and he's just like a, a lumberjack yeah. yeah, working for the termite company, um, doesn't like to drink alcohol on the job. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they put in small little bits like that where he's like, hey, you want some beer? And he's like, no, I'm not going to drink today. Yeah. <laughs> Does smoke uh, camel, or not camel, Marlboro Reds, even though his name is Red. I love that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder mm-hmm. if his name had any symbology. Well, the thing is they open up with the King Crimson track. Oh, my God, um, yes. Starless, I believe. Yeah. Starless by King Crimson, and that is off the album Red by King Crimson. Right, so they, they must have tied that into it at some point. But the even even just the music by itself creates a really large soundscape that you get pulled into because the movie is more of a standalone piece of lore. Like, the story and everything that gets brought together, it's a standalone that kind of borrows from fantasy, especially like Dungeons & Dragons types of things mm-hmm. where there's mystical items there's people who feel like they have powers or they're meant to be a leader. There's evil cults, evil and cults. whatnot as well. The names of the locations <laughs> are very fantasy. Yes. Yeah. Well, they even do the credit, or I'm sorry, the transition that shows these like really fancy lettering for where do they live at? The the, mountains? the shadow mountains. The shadow mountains. <laughs> like <laughs> that already sounds like yeah. fantasy to and me. And they show it in this bright blue, shiny crystal lettering that first shows the transition when they go there. So essentially you're finding out where they live. But what were your initial thoughts on the, the film as soon as it started or just in those first few minutes? When it when it opens up, and this is my first time seeing it, so when it opens up and it has basically that bird's eye view of the trees, 
and it's just kind of floating over the trees and you've got yeah. that nice king crimson song going on it really it like is trying to set up the like the wooded like frontier uh setting that they are that it's basing itself in so it's very much like not it's a very uh what's the word it's a rural setting yeah um yeah and the music does it does a really good job of really easing you into the movie it was very uh it reminded me of like the opening to like uh like texas chainsaw and stuff like that where it's a really like slow moving just doesn't really nothing too crazy right now just really simplistic i think i'm getting that correct i believe texas does open up kind of like that where it's just like a nice frontier road and you're just sort of like looking at it no you're right yeah Yeah, 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 yeah. or like the shining opens up like that also i believe um and then there's also Treevenge that opens up like that, but that's a whole different The Shining thing. opens like that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, initially I thought, you know, it's a really nice, uh, mellow and slow uh, beginning. And you see a lot of gradients in this film and, and they're very prevalent in the beginning of the film. You see like Nick Cage and purples and blues and teals. Um, but they get a lot of exposition done within like the first five minutes. I'd say they get the setting, you know, um, what's what is the mountain the shadow, shadow mountains the shadow mountains you get to see him leaving for his job and then eventually going to his house with mandy um i i love how this opening is uh the music's very calming and very nice and it's a big like you know a relaxer before the chaos that ensues um it it perfectly perfectly um mirrors exactly what they're trying to portray which is this is a nice like little married couple this is their nice little life they live out in the middle of the woods it's nice out there sort of deal sort of um very ideal for both of them it seems you know he he works with lumber he lives around lumber um it looks like he probably like i wouldn't uh be remiss in saying he probably built the house himself with her most likely it feels like that to me anyway it has so many windows yeah the the design of the house is a very specifically like made kind of thing like their bedroom is surrounded by windows that you could look out of and look into and it, well it's meant to be it's meant to be a place where they're really secluded yeah solitude and they are you know they're very they're living their lives out in a very solitary way out there i think in one in some way because she's a painter and wants the the place to be calm and able to work on what she's working on. But also, they don't really get into why they decided to live there anyway. And yeah, how they came to live there. And Red even comments about how sometimes he thinks about leaving that place because he feels weird about being there. So maybe a little bit of foreshadowing at the beginning where he's starting to get like a bad feeling about the location they're living, Uh, especially with the, the symbolism that they end up dropping at the beginning. But let's let's go right to the start of it so you kind of get introduced to these characters where uh red is coming off of his day of work right yeah and gets on a helicopter and then he has to drive back to where their house is comes in and talks to her and then you just get a nice montage of scenes where he's hanging out with his wife and they're doing all these different things together they're laying down asking each other questions you get to see what their uh home looks like and a little bit of the landscape around the house as well they really sell the fact that they're like a really established married couple. Like you're not right. Who actually love each other. Like right. they're not mm-hmm. <laughs> just you're kind just of like, existing hey, babe, near each other. And they're just like, Hey, and they just, he's just like, Oh, what are you drawing? What are you, what are you making today? You know, what, what's, what's on the mind. And then she's, mm. she's telling him like a giant, uh, it was a jungle for, for, uh, jungle temple. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. I, I'm drawing a jungle. Te- we don't see it, 
but you know you could see on his face that he's generally like wow like fuck yeah he's all he's really impressed with her work anytime she shows it to him or anytime he's sort of i would guess comments on it yeah or like some of the stuff that she even says to him in dialogue he's just like I, I would have never thought yeah, of something like that. Yeah, she's definitely a, a creative person, so she's bringing all of these opinions <laughs> to him. Uh, something that's interesting to point out is even before he gets there in the car, the radio is playing this uh, radio station or a radio show that's explaining about how America is going through a spiritual awakening. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of a weird thing to include considering they run into a somewhat religious cult that's yeah. been warped into what – uh, Jeremiah Sand, which is the the leader of the cult, kind of what he believes in and how he wants all of his people to follow him. But it is some foreshadowing to the kind of people that he's going to meet and also maybe a criticism of certain religious groups that were sprouting out during like the mid-80s to the, like early 90s. I believe it's set in the 80s too. Yeah. I believe yeah. so. There, there were heavy amounts of cults. Well, there's, the a, there's an official timestamp at some point. Oh. Yeah, it's 83, yeah. I believe what it is. Yeah. I never saw that. <laughs> It'll say, it says, like, AD, like, yes. 1983 okay. in the beginning. Right. And there's also that quote at the beginning, which is more of, like, song lyrics. Yeah, that's really. what I was thinking. Uh, and it, it mentions, you know, kind of, like, what should you do with my body if I was to die? Mm-hmm. Is kind of like that intro. And then, like you mentioned, Mitch, they have the uh, the timestamp that says AD, 1983. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. a weird way to put it. Yeah, and it, and it really is, but I think it sets up that, because we were talking about how it sort of has all the fantasy elements to it yeah. a lot of the time. Heavy so fantasy. Yeah, heavy fantasy elements to it, and I, and I really like that a lot, and I feel they're just really trying to push that forward. Like, they're sort of like, we're in the, like, the age of fire and brimstone still, like, implying that that age never actually left in this setting. Right, and to me, I kind of took it as the age of when you hear in most stories that there's always war or there's something going on and they don't really ever get over it. And it's interesting because she goes right into the conversation with red about what's their favorite planets. Mm -hmm. And she mentions that Jupiter is her favorite because it has a raging storm that just never stops. And the bit like the center of this storm is big enough to eat up the earth. And then he has sort of like a comedic answer where he says that, you know what? I've changed it from Saturn to Galactus. Which is yeah. like a straight like Marvel reference yeah, exactly. to like a character with that one. Galactus is not a planet, I know, but he eats planets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they get into this interesting conversation about that. And then afterwards, uh, I think afterwards is when she sees the the dead doe, right? They go to the, they go to the Crystal Lake. That's right, they go and to the lake. A beautiful shot of the Crystal Lake with like the teal blue water. And I'm just out in the middle of it and then you know, they're camping, and he is definitely staring at Mandy for a long time as she's coming out of the water, skinny right. dipping. Well, that was a, that was an interesting scene to me because he's staring at her through the flames, through fire. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's a fire transition after that where the whole screen gets taken up by it. Mm-hmm. So it's a direct foreshadowing to her getting burned alive later in yeah. the movie i mean yeah definitely a foreshadowing but it also shows like his massive amounts of infatuation with her too yep. like even after all these years he's still infatuated <laughs> there's still woman. a fire burning. yeah there's still a fire yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so it's like this it's this cool double meaning that they yeah, do definitely. in this movie for sure uh they also make it a point to zoom in onto her eyes mm-hmm. so she kind of has this scar on her left side of her face that is from her cheek kind of upwards towards her eye 
And in that scene, that left eye that uh, it zooms in on is not dilated, but her right eye is. Hmm. So there's like something going on with that. And then even um, the book she's reading, uh, it's called Seeker of the Serpent's Eye. Is that a real book? Uh, I think it was made just for the film. Okay. Because uh, I couldn't find, like, I wanted to read that book when she first started reading it. Yeah. Even just the little section she pulls out of it is the descriptor for the final scene. Yep. I, when I, Red drives I, away. Can I read it? Yeah, go for it. I love it. Under the crimson primordial sky surrounded by the jagged rocks of ancient volcanic mountain, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace of the fissure until his hand touched a smooth, glassy surface. Cold as ice, his fist closed around the serpent's eye. Slowly, he withdrew it and held it before him in the fading light of the blood-red suns. It glowed from within a ghostly emerald light, strange and eternal. So that's that's the narrator voiceover work that you hear, and she's reading it. Mandy's reading it to kind of like to herself. And then as she's reading it, it seems like the screen starts to get blurry and blend it together. So to me, I kind of took that as you were going into this world. You're kind of getting dropped into the realm of this fantasy world. Mm -hmm. And it signals some sort of transition in the film where you're going to be able to kind of drop into this world with them. And maybe to put some sort of suspense on, uh, like, suspend your disbelief for a little bit. Because it's going to start getting crazy after that. I mean, that, that quote in itself is also just very ominous sounding as well. You know, it definitely doesn't it doesn't make you feel like happy. <laughs> it's not it's epic, but it's not happy feeling. Right. There are a few animation scenes in this movie. Yeah, where he sees and, his wife. Yeah, where he sees his uh dead It's wife. only after she's died though. Yes. And one of them was her pulling out an emerald from some kind of beast yeah. and bringing it up to the sky. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. They yeah. bring both of those. So so after that scene where they go visit the lake and he's looking at her through the fire she's walking through the forest and comes across a doe a really young animal that's died and the body is just kind of left there i know that the doe has symbolism in literature but do you guys think it means anything specific mitch had a really interesting opinion Uh, i will it it, i feel like it, it could either be in my opinion the well, it's a baby animal, so the death of innocence is one idea. But the one that I was right. stretching for is it's an explanation why they don't have children. Because she stares very longing, not really longingly, but she stares very, like, somberly at this animal for a bit. As if it, like, reminds her of something. Like, they did a really good job of, of capturing, like, the like her eye contact with the, with the dead animal. And with, you know, the dead animal and panning back and forth to the two of them. Um, and I, I personally think that it's a representation of potentially like a miscarriage or a lost child from or their own marriage. Perhaps that, a which, foreshadowing that they cannot have a child after the events of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Or, or as like an explanation, maybe like a, like just like a really like an uh, using imagery to explain their life without using dialogue to do it, without going into the "I'm so sad since the baby died" and having that whole dialogue oh, right. go through and detracting from the rest of the movie. And there's a lot that the movie shows you and doesn't tell you it's a very visual yes hey here it is determine it yourself yeah it's it's open-ended in a certain way i think so you can take what you need from it to allow the near like the narrative to move forward that's that that's an essence of really good storytelling as well as showing and not telling people yeah like like showing them what's going on and letting you sort of you should be able if you can figure it out just by what they've shown you i feel that they have truly succeeded very well in um, conveying their plot 
I know that in dream interpretation, coming across uh, a dead doe specifically uh, signals a transition in your life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you're the one killing it, then something uh, something is going to happen that's sort of out of your control. But if you come across something like that or a dead animal, specifically that animal, that usually signals some sort of transition in your life that's either going to be forceful or something that you're not expecting. And so that I know for sure was, of course, foreshadowing whatever is going to happen to her um, just because she happens to be walking along that trail where Jeremiah Sand sees her. Mm-hmm. And then after that becomes extremely obsessed with her. And that's sort of how the narrative gets pushed forward. Yeah. So just by happenstance of her walking on this road and him seeing her is how that narrative kind of gets pushed forward. And they repeat that shot <clears throat> of her coming back, you know, just looking at him over and over again until it just kind of just fades into the next part of the movie mm-hmm. the children of dawn which i do have to say yeah children of ooh, children, children of the, the new, new dawn. dawn children um, of the new dawn the which text- i think is like a parody of an actual religious group that existed during that time okay yeah with, there was so many religious cults that were popping up yeah but there still are right there's still a, <laughs> yeah there's still a few uh i think that i think the group was intended to be a really strong parody of what they felt most of those cults are kind of like, uh, especially with how they have pretty much a like a sociopathic leader who is a narcissist and just wants everyone to like him mm-hmm. and only him and do things for him. If we do not do things the right way, you will not ascend. He says yeah. it once. Yeah. They don't go ever go back to it, but he says it once. So there that's like some kind of things where they're just playing with it. Like, there are more things to this cult, but we're not going to really show you. We're just going to show you how cra- batshit fucking crazy they are. Well, even besides Jeremiah Sand and the rest of his crew, which I don't think they ever get named, but uh, except for Brother Swan, right? Brother yeah. Swan, yep. The movie has its own sense of mysticism and lore that you kind of get into. And so you start really thinking about where exactly are they? There's no, there's no other signals for where they're at. There's no signs. There's no road signs. Just in the shadow really mountains. See. Yeah, you're just in the shadow mountains. And so <laughs> it was weird. I, I got the vibe like you were kind of watching like a and d one shot or something. Yeah. Like people, like they just all got dropped into this area and this is like there are limits to where their area is and they don't really go outside those. And so you kind of get this weird uh story that starts unfolding because of the color palette that they use because of the sounds that they use the music the way they transition everything for it to be kind of like an lsd trip through the whole movie that gets more extreme Mm -hmm. as things start unfolding through the narrative and so that transition really happens when jeremiah san requests from brother swan that he goes and gets the gets his wife and so then you get introduced Mm -hmm. to the black skulls yeah but He's like, do you have the item? Yes. The yeah. horn of Braxis. The horn of a Braxis. Of a Braxis, excuse <laughs> Which me. Which looks like a stone ocarina. Yeah, really, <laughs> like legitimately it does. Yes, yeah, like really porous looking, a very porous looking stone. And I love how uh, Brother Swan is like, consider it done. Like, he, he is... Total commitment to he him. He is the right-hand man for this dude. Right. Which is kind of crazy, but that always seems to be something you see with cults like this, where... Their right-hand man is always extremely loyal, and they don't question them on anything. And so he requests that he, he goes and finds Mandy because he's become obsessed with her on that one viewing. It's like he's fallen in love with her on the first sight, and he's like, I have to have her. I need her to come over here. And so they go and 
summon these bikers so that they can have some help kidnapping his wife. Now, the bikers themselves are absolutely nuts. This is straight out of some sort of mystical story where you have these riders who are just going around the forest killing people because they're on a bad LSD trip. Yeah. And they're drinking tons of it. Yeah, they're just drinking liquid uh, LSD mixed in with who knows what. Um, they're fucking gruesome. They're dark and black. They're like, they look like they're con- like surrounded in rubber and leather and yeah. like spikes. <laughs> Very fetish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they look, uh, I, I, they remind me of the Cenobites from like Hellraiser. Yeah. And things like that's that. That's accurate. So that's, that's really my big comparison. They also look like they could just be a black metal band. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're called the Black Skulls. Yeah. So like, so, like they fits. could be. They do. It totally works. I remember when, uh. I first met you guys. I was telling you about Mandy. Uh, they remind me of the fucking the two people in Hobo with a shotgun, oh. like the two Grinder and Crusher or whatever. Just like the guy. <laughs> oh, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and totally. The thing is, Hobo with a shotgun came out earlier, like before Mandy. So I was like, dude, they probably got a little bit of inspiration from that. They pulled inspiration, I think, from a lot of different places for something Absolutely. like this because it starts off as a slow burn horror film then transitions into this very indie almost gonzo horror where you have the axe go flying across the screen and like planting in on that dude's skull near the end so yeah. it just ramps up kind of in the middle of the it's film it's like you said it's like a lsd trip it has to it takes a while kick in. yeah to kick in really and then when it kicks in oh you're gonna fucking peak <laughs> something interesting to note too is that there are four of those bikers so they could easily translate to the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah and it's very point. religious especially considering that jeremiah sand is a religious cult leader so it would make sense that he would summon the four horsemen of the apocalypse to help him or aid him in something but they don't do it without taking something and he even says it he says blood for blood blood for blood <laughs> yeah. And they give him apparently they give him the like fat kid, which is really mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, poor, was, uh, the poor little the poor fat kid. Yeah, they don't even give a name. He's like, let's give up the porker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's some... so they say he's so dumb he wouldn't be able to find his nose in a mirror. That's poor, what they say guy. about him. I know. Poor poor I wanted to know him more. Yeah, all you see him do is drink a soda. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, all, that's he, all doesn't he does not do anything else. Yeah. Although I do think right before he summons not no, he summons the bikers by getting out of the car and blowing into this crazy ocarina. What is it called again? The horn of a Braxis. He he blows into it and it just sounds like a really loud war call. I love how it echoes. Yeah. It echoes really good. Echoes all the way through the area that they're standing in, and then he gets back into the van, and the <laughs> fucking dude next to him was so funny. Yeah, where he's he, just playing he, with the window. He's like slack jawed, staring out of the fucking front window, and then he's bored, so he starts moving the window up and down. It's a little electric window, and he keeps hitting it, and it closes, and he, he opens it like six or seven times. Zooms out so that you get to see uh, Brother Swan's face, and he is so fucking done with him <laughs> at that point. <laughs> And then that's when they hear the roar of those engines when the bikers show up. And then they get the uh, the nice purple purple lights with smoke all yeah. around it. Oh, just, yeah. You could tell someone was sitting behind them with, like, a smoke machine. <laughs> just, like, filling in the area because they wanted it to be super dramatic. Yeah. Um, 
they uh what would i what would i um there's also they hand him that the jar full of the the, the super lsd and he just yeah. like downs the whole thing chugs that shit just chugs it which yeah. is kind of crazy to think about because uh red at one point dips his finger in and puts it to his tongue and goes through a crazy trip so i can only imagine what it's like to chug that stuff yeah really though <laughs> so they're just permanently on a very strong lsd trip which probably accounts for all of the the weird things that they've done to their bodies like one of them has multiple nails that have just been driven into their body and then another dude has like a blade penis yeah he has like a (laughs) yeah he's you know what it reminded me of when guar had that giant penis and would just walk around that that's what it reminded me of where he just walks around he's a blade for a penis yeah (laughs) it reminded me of a primitive version of tom's savini's fucking cock gun oh my god (laughs) from dust till dawn it's like yeah you brought a knife to a gunfight and it's just like i have that dude had the knife fucking tom savini had the revolver yeah it's like (laughs) that was so weird that i feel like that was the only part of that film that stood out that was just awkward oh because a gun shows up on his dick yeah he's like yeah you're like i'll accept it there's there's hor- there's fucking vampires in this fucking thriller. That was the weirdest shit. We really should do that movie too. We are. I love. Yeah. We we, we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's one dude. Uh, he kind of he kind of looks a little human. He, yeah. There's a smaller dude who has like this weird mask on. But you can see his actual eyes. Yeah. You can actually tell he has a face. <laughs> I love how uh, they're so desensitized from everything else. Killing people is just whatever to them. Yeah, you know, whatever. I don't know what they did to the fat kid. Poor Perk. Poor I'm dude. guessing they just ate him. Yeah. Either that or, I mean, when Nicolas Cage goes to the base, he sees a fucking couple just completely mauled Or up. they just bleed him dry or something. And then you, you turn the room and there's one of the dudes, he's just fucking hitting coke and watching pornography for fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, like, it's a huge mound of coke on the table. And yeah, he's just, like, dipping just, his face into it. Yeah. It's like it snowed there recently. And, and he doesn't even use a fucking pencil. Or, not a pencil, a fucking dollar. He's using a shard of glass. <laughs> yeah. Scooper. Scoop it into his nose. That's just so hilarious. Hard. So... After, but I mean, after they introduce the bikers, um, uh, Jeremiah Sands' mom is the one that goes to find Mandy first. Correct. Goes to where she works to figure out where she lives. Yeah, she's really she's pretty clever about it too. Yeah, and she like, oh, that's a cool T-shirt. What you reading? Yeah, just asking her general stuff, and she's still reading that book we mentioned earlier, the the Seeker of the Serpent's Eye. Mm-hmm. So you live around here, huh? <laughs> um, and then the biker guys show up at their house. In a sick yep. flash scene with like yeah. the, is it thunder? No, it's not thunder. It's, it's just, just like a light that they turn. They're turning yeah. on and off. Okay, yeah. more for dramatic effect for what we're looking at. So we only get. Okay. So you never really get a clear view of the bikers. You kind of get tidbits here and there, except for the one that speaks directly to Red. You get a full view of his face, but he's the most human looking to out of any of them. And so you, your mind kind of fills in the rest of it where they probably are gruesome there. You can hear them. They're like squelching sometimes when they're Mm -hmm. walking. And it's just because their bodies are deteriorating from so much damage while they're on this really bad LSD trip. Mm -hmm. I I don't even consider them human. I don't know. They're like demons. Well, what's interesting is that when uh, a little bit later in the film, when he goes and sees his friend to get his crossbow, he tells him, he's like, I want you to remember that they're not human. Like, these are creatures that these you're going to hunt. Animals. They're animals. You need to remember that before you go and start hunting them. But going back, his wife gets kidnapped and he gets left there. 
I'm assuming tied up somewhere. Yeah. And Abby. then they bring oh, her. They knock him out and then probably. Tie yeah, him. they take him all the. They take Mandy all the way back to the cult leader's home, where he attempts to seduce her, which is probably one of the funniest scenes. They do give her a big dose of LSD to yeah. the eye, and then they liquid LSD that gets dropped into her eye. Then they sting her with a big with a big wasp. Yeah, that, that was... shit freaks me out every time. Yeah, I see it's it. so freaking weird. I don't even know what bug that was supposed to be, but. It looks like a it looks like a wasp, like one of those really. Um, I'm trying to remember what the name of anything of a wasp is. There's a wasp that has one of like the five most painful stings in the world, oh, basically. And so I feel they do that to like jumpstart the adrenaline in the body to get the LSD flowing faster. That makes so right. Much hence, sense. hence why she calls it the cherry on top. Oh, gotcha. I forget the name of the wasp though, which I might just start looking up and then I'll snap in later and tell you. Yeah. Right. So. They kind of walk her to Jeremiah, right? They she gets oddly indoctrinated, which is not really uh, something that you see a lot in in certain films. But it makes sense as far as the cult goes, because anytime you hear people talk about cult and how they got initiated, it's usually by a group of their peers. Tarantula hawk. Tarantula hawk. That is literally what it's called. It's been awarded the second place on the Schmidt Sting Pain Index, beaten only by the South American bullet ant. Oh, the God. pain from a bullet ant sting lasts up to 24 hours, whereas that of a wasp usually aggravates the unlucky victim for five minutes. Shit. 24 hours of pain. So, yeah. God damn. There you go. A little ant? Yeah, no, it was a big fucking wasp. It's a big wasp. Oh yeah, the bullet ant. The bullet ant yeah. is a different is a different thing. Yeah. So it is that wasp. Yeah. Look. Oh, do you want to see a picture of it? I'll yeah. Show it yeah, to you. Yeah, you'll you'll, it. you'll look at it. You'll be like, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Oh, that's the guy. Except he's huge in the movie. Uh, you're. Oh yeah yeah okay. Yep. They definitely use something like that. Tarantula. And so I like you guys said, it must have been to accelerate the LSD because she immediately goes into her trip. And then the audience does as well while watching. So you get the uh I'm sorry, what is it called again when you get Tracers. That's it. So essentially when what you're looking at moves and then you see their movement very slowly and there's like a image, an after image left behind. The distortion of light. Yeah off coming off of like people yeah definitely and the environment and y if you take an lsd you'll know exactly what you're what we're talking about yep. when you think about something like that um but what's interesting <laughs> is that she gets brought into this trip and she's only speaking with the two women that are a part of the group and that almost always happens with real life cults they will get indoctrinated by people who are supposed to be their peers and so they think that maybe nothing is wrong, right? There's, like, women who are kind of bringing you into this uh, cult and of what exactly is supposed to be something that's good. But it ends up being, of course, terrible for her. And so they bring her in, sit her down, and then Jeremiah Sand comes yeah. in. And it, he's trying to impress her in this really weird moment. He plays his own record for her. Right. Do you like the Carpenters? Well, this is something... This is better, better. than the Carpenters, is what he <laughs> claims. His own music, he's claiming, is better than the Carpenters, which is really funny. Puts in a, a nice a vinyl onto his player and then starts playing his own music, which is like, I don't know, really weird folk music. Yeah, it's 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 really like Elvish, kind of. Just like... Yeah. Kind of just a, a little something you would sing hear. song tune. Uh, yeah. It's pretty close to the, the, the King Crimson opening song in, yeah. like, in like atmosphere, how it sets it. Yeah. But it's not as good as Crane Crimson, so. Yeah. No. And then he's like, "They, God gave me a gift. 
and he gave me that gift to translate it through music. Yeah. But they did not they did not accept that or something like he says something along the lines well, of Well, he the way he describes the story sounds like he ascended into heaven and was like, yo, I'm meant to make music. Check me out. And then God was like, no, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? No. And then sends him to hell and mentions how he's in hell writhing from pain because he was not given what he was like deserving of. And then apparently met Satan who was like, what are you talking about? You can go up there and take anything you want. And then apparently gets sent back to earth to do his fucking music and to like get all of his cult following. <laughs> so he's completely deranged and narcissistic and thinks he's like the best thing that's happened to the earth. And so mm -hmm. of course he's supposed to be like the Jesus Messiah figure for everyone else. I love Mandy's reaction too, but before we go into the reaction, <laughs> there's a shot where he's just explaining everything that John right. said. Oh yeah. He, he tells a really long elaborate story about how he pretty much ventured to heaven and then to hell and back to earth. And it mixes in the shot with Mandy's, yeah uh, blank expression oh, to a so point good. where you can't differentiate the two yeah they, it's just like a blank stare with minimal talking right i'm guessing they shot both faces and then overlaid one over the other and then brought the opacity on one of them up or down depending on whether or not they wanted you to see jeremiah's mouth moving it, it mm -hmm. was it was great because it conveyed mandy's just like nah just yeah, like, she like, was just uh, staring blankly at him the whole time he's doing this. He's even telling her about how he's completely experienced with so many women and that he knows exactly what she needs and she should be like honored for having sex with him at that moment. Pulls open his robe to show her full frontal dick and it's just like, <laughs> hey, you know, we're going to like get into it. And then she stops him and goes, wait you made this song <laughs> and he's about like about you he was like i did he's like touching himself he's like yeah i did and she's like is it about you and he was like yeah yeah it is and then she goes into hysterical laughter <laughs> yeah just hysterical almost taunting laughter where she's just <laughs> laughing at him and is like throwing her head back in her and laughter he, he's and he, so pissed he's he like flips to, out he's jerking it he's like stop stop <laughs> he yeah he's trying to get hard to like probably assert some dominance and he just can't do it <laughs> stop fucking laughing at me <laughs> Stop looking at me! Yeah, and then he, he goes into... What was that guy you compared him to? Fucking, he goes into... He does the Dennis Hopper from fucking, yeah, from fucking Blue Velvet. He basically does that like throughout the whole Just thing. so Stop fucking funny. Stop fuck, Don't you fucking look at me! Don't look at me! <laughs> and, of course, has his entire world fucking come crumbling down at that moment because she just did not accept his advances. <laughs> I, I will say that uh, me and John, we saw a Blu-ray version of the yes, movie. Yes, there's more. There is a little bit of extended scene here and there. Um, but when, when I know you didn't see it, Mitch, but we were talking about. Right. There was one scene where she talks to the old woman and she's like, what do you think about all this? Yeah. And then she's just like, I think it's. It's about time you got you'll all meet the Reaper, and, and that doesn't come in until later. <laughs> the Reaper is the the crossbow that yeah. Red uses later in the film, which is kind of odd. So so he leaves that crossbow with his friend. So at some point, I think Red was pretty dangerous, and was probably like into some dark shit and just left it there. But then after that terrible thing that happens and his wife gets fucking burned alive, he's like, nope, time to start killing people. Goes back and gets his weapon. Goes full John Wick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and just like preps up and starts going after these people. So yeah, there, there's definitely a bits and pieces that are added in, which are really good too. Um, and that one was one of them because it's such a small detail. 
There was the uh, so you know he's like pissed off. You know, I that, love the, the the scene after that where he goes into the mirror to look at himself, and right. he's so like pathetic at that point because he's just like, "What do I do? Please tell me what to do." And he's like looking at himself in the mirror, and then he transitions to like this moment where he's like, "Oh, don't ever doubt yourself again," and then like <laughs> and then moves away from him, from the mirror and then decides that he's gonna go back, uh, find Red, and then burn his wife in front of him, which is exactly what that whole scene is. But before that. He stabs him in his side with what was that thing called? Oh, I also love how he's just like, you and your ugly whore wife have messed with the wrong people. And it's like, dude, right. you're just trying to bone this chick. Right, and exactly. You're, just, you're, you're just being like, your beauty is so divine. I haven't never seen a woman like you. He's like the extreme version of those dudes that get super offended when a chick just wants nothing to do with him. Yep. Hey, 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 hey. I don't want to talk. You fucking whore. How could you do this to me? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the fuck? I'll treat you so good. You'll be so good, girl. We'll be together and everything. It'll be great. And she's like, no. What the fuck, bitch? You know, yeah, you're like, ugly anyway. You're ugly. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he does. It is so fucking dumb. And he, he gets all butthurt about it, comes back and decides he's going to do something crazy. But then he, this is like, this was a super weird fantasy Ooh, moment yeah. where he brings out the knife and he's like, oh yeah, here's the the tainted blade of the pale knight from the abyssal. Of, yeah. uh, <laughs> like, the, shut up nerd. <laughs> I love how they show these items too. Cause they get like a, a green neon light and they just do like a whoosh kind of shot just to show you really slowly. Like, yes, yeah, this, what this is, is the fantasy weapon we are using right now. Yeah, yeah. They totally care that you know exactly what this item is and what it looks like. And then in Looks true, like, dope. religious symbolism, they stab him in the side just like Jesus gets stabbed while he's hanging there. Mm-hmm. And then his his wrists are above him with barbed wire, which is, like, his barbed crown that gets put upon his forehead. So it's just, like, there's All just the so symbolism. broad, like, they're broad, strong <laughs> strokes of the religious symbolism that they like to include for things like this. Especially considering that Jeremiah Sand fancied himself Jesus and the Messiah, mm-hmm. when really it was... It was Nicolas Cage's character. It was Red, who was going to be the person that kind of comes like full circle, gets sort of reborn in the middle of that movie, and then comes back for his revenge. So it's interesting that they decided to do all of these things before he drags him out. And then they have a really fucked up scene where they have his wife like in a bag. They string her up on what looks like a, a swing set or something. Yeah. And then just light her on fire. And, and then stay there while she's burning. And it, hyped. I mean, and they're all really hyped about it. And but the interesting thing is, most of the time when you see, if you watch any movie where someone's burned alive, they're usually screaming or yeah. something along those lines, or like or like there's a lot of really d- discordant noise going on. But this, they did a very, if I'm not, if I remember, like it was a really like kind of like soft like synthy sort of thing, or it was just very quiet with like this little like bassy noise behind it yeah, but it was right. very it wasn't as climactic as they usually make scenes like that out to be yeah exactly it was it was more of a transition yeah exactly yeah it was intended to really push that story forward without you lingering on it too long mm-hmm. yeah. i really like uh i also like the scene before it when uh he goes up to him, he's like you don't know what love is oh if, do you right you don't know what true love is this is true love and like Opens up a revolver, puts a bullet in, spins it, pull the trigger. And he, like, he hands it to the girl, and she just looks at him. Yeah, he puts and her he, on her knees it, right in front of him and tells her that to show her a commitment of love that she needs to just yeah. play Russian roulette by herself. Yeah. And Nick Cage, you could hear him, no, like, Nurr. Yeah, like, He's don't fucking like, do that. Don't fucking do that shit. And she doesn't. Gets lives. lucky. But 
he's just like fuck. And then they burn his wife right in front of him right after. So like he's just, he's just seen a lot of crazy shit. Right. You, and you see a single tear too. Yeah, it's you. They stay on his face a long time because he's mm-hmm. got like barbed wire around his mouth, on his wrists, holding him to that place. And then all of, they leave, and he figures out a way out of the barbed wire. Goes into his house, kind of looks at his shirt, which is his favorite shirt, and he puts it on and goes to his bed and falls asleep for who knows how long because he's just so fucking traumatized from what's happened. Wakes up, chugs a whole bunch of fucking liquor, and then goes to his friend to retrieve his weapons. The liquor scene is, like, super impressive. Like, the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is, like, a lot of fucking emotion coming out right now. Yeah. Like, he's, like, pounding on himself. He's, like, hammering the liquor super hard throwing it all over his cuts on it everywhere and he's ah, 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 ah. <laughs> just going full rage he's just like pissed and then puts the bottle down sits on the toilet and just starts fucking bawling yep it's a powerful scene i, I love that well i, I like the way they shot it because there must have been somebody who had one of those uh rigs that holds the camera still and they were moving in and out like walking and yeah. so you have the scene where it gets really close to him and then he starts screaming and it backs up a bit <laughs> away from him. And so you get the feeling that you're really there with him. It kind of looked like a like a scene or a box that's kind of cut out, like what you see for a TV set when they have the audience looking and it's just like half a house. That's what it looked like in that scene where that room looked like it was cut out. I yep. also – oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? I also want to know what, what the fuck is the symbolism of the Cheddar Goblin? Yo, right? So, so he comes in, his wife has just been murdered, and he gets stuck looking at a commercial on the TV for Goblin Cheddar. Cheddar where, Goblin. Cheddar which, Goblin, which, which they is, sell. That's real? Yeah, you could buy a box set of Mandy, and they will give you a box of Cheddar Goblin <gasps> macaroni and cheese. Oh we got to buy it now. But, like, <laughs> holy shit. So, so this was custom made for the movie, and it's just like a, a, a commercial about, I guess, mac and cheese. But this goblin throws up this mac and cheese onto the kids, and they're fucking stoked. They're like, yes, yes, throw up on me. And you're like, what the fuck is Cheddar going goblin on? Cheddar has 50% more cheese than other macaroni and cheeses. It's, like... <laughs> it's so odd and out of place, and it just takes you like way the fuck out of the movie. And you're like, what is? why did they make this weird commercial? And I, there's no tie-in anywhere else. There's no uh, that, nothing. Uh, other fucking movie that they're watching when they're eating TV dinner. I think they made that it. one too. Yeah, because I can't find anything about it. It's just pew pew pew, pew like fucking laser zap. Very like fifties, fifties sci-fi yeah. movie. It's awesome. <laughs> and they're into it. They're like eating while like not looking at their plate. They're bringing like the food up to their face. They're and, so into it. Yeah, they're they're super into it. So they're just enjoying their time together. Um, and that's like that scene happens where they're watching the movie during that montage when they're kind of hanging out together. And so, uh, oh, we also forgot to mention uh, the Starling story that oh, she tells yes. about her father, who apparently was a fucked up dude and hated Starlings. Whoa, I just realized something. What's that? Um, she says the Starling story. Yeah. And the Starlings were in a pillowcase. Yeah. And she is in like oh. a giant ass fucking. She is in a pillowcase. A huge ass one. Man, heavy foreshadowing. More Damn. foreshadowing. Yeah. I, just know, I didn't even. Nope. Wow. That's a good See? read, Mer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, apparently her dad hated starlings, and so he went out, found a bunch of little starlings, brought it over to her and her group of friends, and showed them how to kill birds, apparently, with a crowbar. And yeah, she said they were hit down so hard into the earth that it was like they made little graves when they were done. Yep. 
Yeah, and That's then when it got to her turn, she got scared and ran away. And so it's just <laughs> that. Yeah, that was a fucked up story. And she tells him that after he wakes up from a bad dream. So it's like, oh, you had a bad dream. Let me tell you a terrible story. <laughs> <laughs> and and then he's just like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah, it just gives her a hug and it transitions into something you else. You think your dreams are bad? Right. My life. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So he so, goes to his homie. Right, so he goes to get his weapons. He's he's kind of cleaned himself up, and he goes to his friends to get Reaper, which is his crossbow. Uh, the actor that is his friend, I'm, he, he's in Predator, and that's the only I know he's in other movies. But what's his name? What's the I'll, name of the actor? I'll look it up. Yeah, uh, for sure. What's the name of that actor? Uh, so he basically gives a lot of backstory for the Black Skulls, where he's he tells them about how he's heard stories about the Black Skulls, kind of throughout the Shadow Mountains. And how people were reporting that they would find disemboweled bodies, people who had just been killed, murdered, left somewhere. And all the stories were the same. It was always a group of bikers. It was always uh, people that they only saw at night and that they were always really violent. And then he follows it up with the glorious line of weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, weird shit. <laughs> he also makes uh, special arrows for... Yeah, oh, I Nicholas fucking King. love that. He's like, that'll cut through human bone like a fat kid through cake. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So I looked up the guy's name. He is – the actor is called Bill Duke. Okay, there we go. He, was, in, yep. he was Mac and Predator. He yep. was Cook and Commando. Yep. He is Chief Hinges and Exit Wounds and a bunch of other movies that – He's in so many B-list horror films. Yeah, and it's, it, the list of this just goes on. And, and he's on. always that dude. He's always the one who, like, gears you up. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, here you go. Here, be careful. He's always like a side is. character. Yeah, he's yeah. really good at that. He's kind of like that NPC you go visit before you go on your, your quest. Yeah, exactly. Right before here, take you. this before you hit the dragon. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then fucking what does Nicolas Cage's character do next? Goes and forges his own fucking axe. Yeah. <laughs> With a blade. It's got a bladed hilt. Not a bladed hilt, but a bladed handle yep. also on it. And yeah. It's, it's so sick. Like, it looks like he ripped it off of a motorcycle. Totally. <laughs> yeah, honestly. it's So he does it like the super old school way where you yeah. kind of pour the molten metal into like a mold. And then heats it up and then hammers it so that it strengthens whatever metal he's working with. He's, he's making the blade. He's like, like, I love how it has a like, handle at the top. Uh, pressing too. the blade. Right, yeah. So it's essentially like a four or five foot axe. And apparently you can buy the prop for $449. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're pitching money for, right, uh, for the yeah. Mandy axe, it's right? It's called the Beast. Yeah, the wanna, Beast. Oh, it's called the Beast? <laughs> yeah. Is that the official name for that weapon? Yeah, the Beast. I fucking love that. <laughs> Yeah, so this isn't like a tiny axe. This is like four or five feet long. And this is the like weapon of choice he uses for the rest of the film, along with his crossbow. And so he's ready to, to go hunting for those bikers. It's goblin good. Uh, <laughs> and so he goes and finds them. How exactly does he find the bikers? Oh, he, he just... He just camps out somewhere while he's like. He well, because I know he plows one down. Like. Well, yeah, he he uses the beat or what is it, the reaper to shoot one and it gets him off the quad. Yeah. And then that's when he's like, "Oh, I'm getting in my fucking car. I'm gonna run this bitch over." Yeah. Yep. And then it flips it the flips whole car. The car yeah. Because he's so big. He, he, he tries to shoot a gun, and if you look closely, it's like an old school fucking pirate pistol. Yeah, yeah, it's like a flint <laughs> fucking. Uh, <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. I forgot about that. 
I must have been like writing notes he when pulls I pulled out when a flintlock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He pulls out a flintlock like, pistol is this? and just fucking mows that dude down. And it flips the car. Yeah, that's that, crazy. That's why I, that's the thing. I don't think they're human to a degree. Because nah, definitely he flips not. Flips the whole fucking car. I think that was definitely the point. Yeah. And so there's they're there's, demons. There's the four of them. So he kills that first one, and then he gets to the house where the other three are. But not before oh, no, getting. No, 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 they capture him. That's right. I was gonna. He's like, oh, he gets sorry. captured. No, no. He, I was like, I had something wrong in that description there. But he does get captured and tied up, mm-hmm. and then wakes up. For which one? They nail him. Oh, he gets. The, yeah, he gets a nail through his hand to kind of keep him in place for where he's tied up. Keep him with the the Christian. Oh, totally. Keeping with too. the Jesus Christian symbolism by having his hands nailed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shit, I didn't even think about that before you mentioned it just now. And who, which I don't even think they mentioned any of the names for the bikers, but it's the smaller one. It's yeah. the one that you could see that has a human face. Yeah, kinda. he has like a clearish mask over his face. It's like a white mask, looks it, like with some eye holes in it. It made me laugh way too much because it reminds me of those like clear basketball masks <laughs> that people wear. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Like if they've ever had like a broken nose or something, it's just to keep their shit in place. <laughs> and so yeah, he gets up real close to him and is. Did he say anything? He, to he, him? Sta- he, uh, he slices he him up and the shirt. cuts the shirt. Oh, yeah, that's he right. Cuts the black cuts and shirt, white and he's shirt. He's like, that's my favorite shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he calls him a snowflake. Yeah, he dumps him down the, down the side of the thing and then calls him a snowflake. Yeah, he's just like, God, I wish I knew the exact line, but he's just like almost saying, You're pretty much an insufferable snowflake. And yeah. then knees him and then takes him down and fucking throws him into the pit right next to him. <laughs> Which has to be like 20, 30 feet down because it takes a while to hear that thud. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's managed to break free and now he's got to take care of the other two, uh, the other two bikers that are still in the house somewhere or outside. And this is where we get the scene that we described earlier where the big ass biker is just sitting doing a whole bunch of coke <laughs> watching porn <laughs> and with his big blade penis yeah with his, yeah he stands up and it just looks like a blade hanging from his uh, like waist belt it is it is it is not hanging or swaying it is fully erect so. yeah it's like that is a fully erect blade well, they show okay. they show right before uh red gets up close to him he's watching the porn snorts a bunch of coke and then the blade like moves up so it's like he's getting like a full erection in that moment so not only that but this film has so many references to penises and being like super phallic like there's literally a chainsaw battle at the end yeah oh with the chainsaw oh yeah with the 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 bigger chainsaw yeah who has a longer bigger chainsaw that that works efficiently at the first pool right yeah but before we get to him there's some there's some because he fights he fights the, 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 the coke snorting porn watcher yep um, and he like uh, he does sort of like a sort of a baptized in blood sort of thing by yep. slitting his throat with a with a with a fucking box cutter. Box cutter. Thank you. Yeah, he uses a box Gets cutter him with and a box slits cutter. his throat with that. And then it just gushes out onto his face, yeah. and he's laughing and smiling the yeah. whole time while he's dying. And then uh, then Nicholas Cage gets up and takes a glass of that cocaine and snorts the whole fucking thing, but then- not before killing. The other dude who climbed oh, out the of the pit. Oh, the other guy comes back, right? The guy that cut his shirt. And, he's and like, he, goes, he goes full rage mode and says, you're the one who cut my shirt. You cut my shirt. <laughs> yeah, and then he She's still burning. Oh, She's my still God. burning. That was, That's the last one. Oh. Yeah, the yeah. last one that dies has probably one of my favorite lines from the bikers oh, easily. How did he kill the, the shirt guy? 
The guy that cut his shirt. Uh, he twi- He like snaps his neck. Oh, yeah, he, oh, yeah, snaps, he snaps his, his neck. neck. That's right. And it zooms like, in on his crazy face. Like, <laughs> <crazy. laughs> and his face looks crazy. Oh, Nicolas Cage has amazing facial expressions yeah, in this movie. It's like, awesome. You, you got to watch it. But anyway. But That's then, when he walks over, gets a glass to, full of that Coke. Yeah. Or gets a glass. He gets a glass. Well, he gets he snorts the Coke after snapping the neck. Yeah. And then he tries the, the, the crazy LSD stuff yep. with the tip of his finger, and it causes him to have a crazy trip real quick. He's looking for his weapon, so yeah. of course the the fucking uh, crossbow is in the cupboard. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and yeah, then the right axe there. is like above the the walkway, <laughs> the upper cupboard, you where, know? where you would put your talking bass at. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you get he gathers all of his shit, finds the. Oh, he also cr- gets road spikes too. Yeah, he, that's how he gets the the next dude, or yeah. that's how he gets um uh brother Swan. Oh, and we got to talk about the fucking transition well, when he takes that he, LSD. He, yeah. Well, he shoots he shoots the last guy with a crossbow, and the dude just pulls it out of his throat like no big deal. Right. Um, and then as he's fighting him, uh, the guy says, like, she's still burning. Right. And then yep. he keeps just saying that, and then he lops his head off and then lights a cigarette with his flaming skull. <laughs> so sick. Yeah. Oh, man, that's well, great. When he hit the LSD, though, like, Fuck! You see a fucking crazy ass trip. It's like a, it's like a mushroom cloud from a nuclear strike. Yeah, and you see, okay, you remember the like Indiana Jones when the faces melt when they open the Ark of the Covenant? It's just (laughs) like like "Ah!" that, but super in your face with just a regular plain old. I love that shit so much. I like when they transition to like a very obviously fake face that's melting like that. It looks like a um, fucking wax. And oh, a few yeah. other things mixed together. They do it uh, again at the end too, when he goes full like the mountain from uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones yeah. and just crushes his fucking head. But oh, so man. after he gets the bikers, he goes and sees the guy who makes the LSD. Yeah. And to me, this is such a moment where it goes back into that fantasy mysticism because that LSD maker, like he's a mystic. Like, yeah. he's that mystic character where he knows things. He, like, gives things to people. He understands that, like, he's sort of responsible for certain things and has a full conversation with him without Nicolas Cage's character even answering him. There's a lot of small details if you are, like, paying attention to the film, like, looking at his getup. Like, right. he, uh, his, he is making batches of LSD as he's, like, as Nicolas Cage is coming through. His hands are drenched in this shit. Yeah, so he's just he's soaking just it up. soaking up LSD while he's doing his work. He has a tiger in his cage. Yeah. A golden <laughs> Walter P308, which is fucking tight as hell. <laughs> which is what? Isn't that like the Nazi gun? Yeah, that's the Nazi Germany gun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> gold like, plated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the shit that the like SS officers carry. Yeah, some hard shit. <laughs> that's fucking yeah, crazy. He, I love how he just turns around and he's like, you're so right, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they really wronged you. <laughs> you're so right. Like, and then in the extended version that we saw, he's like, she, she should be let go. She yeah. Should, she and he lets the he lets the tiger go. Lets the tiger free. Yeah. And like, he's everyone, like, you're right. You're we right. We were watching with people, and they're like, oh, if fucking Nicolas Cage kills the tiger, right. if he uses the tiger, nah, it's just, just let it go, man. Well, <laughs> I think what I love about that scene is the way that they set up his little area that he's doing his work at. Yeah. Like it's very secluded. Um, you're only meant to go in and speak with him and then come out and then, then, then leave. Right. Yeah. Um, he even goes for his gun at first and then realizes that he's like sort of not a threat. 
to him. Yeah, because the tiger's chill. Yeah, and he says it. Yeah, he's like, I know it's good when the tiger's chill. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so Lizzie, so oh yeah, Lizzie the tiger. So yeah. he, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about yeah. the tiger. I was kind of like overblown by the mysticism. I think I'd watch it again, but it does seem like the tiger will like he's like in tune with the animal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, he's all. I, I'm only assuming that he has the tiger test out the LSD. <laughs> and it's just like whenever she's calmed in like chilled out he's like yeah this is a good batch and so he's like ready to give that to her and to give to other people but i think the part i liked the most was he turns around and faces him kind of looks up breathes in really deeply and then tells him to like head north yeah, that's like his he's next like, destination i know where they are yeah i know they wronged you man yeah it, to me i took it like he was uh scrying something like, he was kind of being like, okay, which way, which way, which way? And then he was like, north. And he's like, you need to go that way. And then sends him off. Did, I didn't understand, uh, I still don't, the uh, the symbolic like gesture of the millipedes around his feet. Oh, that was great. So so what I took from it was when you start the, the film with Red, he's a very like stoic character. So he seems to be a guy who has morals, mm-hmm. who's really like trying to adjust his bad ways and then this terrible thing happens his wife gets murdered and then he just goes full-fledged in back into the sort of evil that he's using to channel a lot of his anger into this straight revenge and so what usually happens is like he kind of begins to rot because of that he's like becoming an evil person and because of that he's having sort of the signs of the the horseman that he just killed so like one of them is pestilence and that usually involves with like bugs and things that are still like around you. Oh. And so they were now attracted to him. So like he kind of took on a lot of their power Wow! and ended up like going straight through all of them. And this is what he needed to be able to go and face the rest of the crew, mm-hmm. like all of the other cult leaders and stuff like that. <laughs> and so it was a great shot. Cause it goes, it cuts straight to his feet and his boots are like, in what is it millipedes covered in black millipedes yeah. not just regular red millipedes that you see right. normally just like some they look like wires yeah <clears throat> but the, they're fucking creepy <laughs> well th- i also took it as the rest of the film is red sort of descending into hell mm-hmm. there's even a scene where he's sitting on top of the quad and it's a completely red background or red light there's smoke coming up from underneath him and it's when his quad like stops working, like mm-hmm. he has to take the rest of it on foot, basically. That scene, that shot is awesome too. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's like a sort of downwards facing up shot at him to see where he's sitting, and so from that point on, he then has to sort of descend really slowly into their version of hell, like that they've made for him. Yeah, but before that, he has to. He well, before he goes and descends into hell, he takes right. out two people. He or takes. One he takes out Brother Swan. Yeah, he uh, yeah. uses the road spikes. Yeah, to it's stop not, his it, van. He, no, it's not a road spike. He doesn't use a road spike. He uses the bladed end of the axe and just shoves it down no, his no, throat. No, no, stop the van. Oh, to stop the van. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Never mind. Excuse me. They, I missed that part. They Whoops. throw it on the road, and then uh, his van gets stopped. And he's, uh, Brother Swan is with uh, that younger girl, who I don't think ever gets named. She doesn't get named. She's the revolver girl. Yeah, but same girl, is, yeah. She is also the one who is like... She's very innocent. I She is very innocent, but I believe that she is like Jeremiah's main like piece. Because like, there's well, a lot she, of scenes she's where... She's pregnant, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's pregnant, but there's a lot of scenes where like after a thing that happens with Jeremiah, she's like in, entering the room and closing doors and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of so fucked I'm up. Just, like, we, they're, mm. they're giving the idea that she is there to provide a lot of sexual pleasure for him. 
And so she sort of is relieved when he kills Brother Swan because he, he just lets her go. Because yeah. I think he realizes that she's really innocent in this situation. But killing Brother Swan is like one of the better killings in the movie because he shoves the sharp bottom end of his axe straight into his mouth. And it it takes a while. There's like, yeah, he basically th- like chokes on his own <laughs> yeah. blood. He's like, oh, okay. I mean, like it's bad enough that it's in his mouth and like down his throat. But then he's like. <laughs> yeah, he is forcing it down into him, which is a very uh, uh, specific reference to dick going into someone's mouth. It's phallic. There's yeah. a lot of phallic stuff Yeah, they here. love doing that and turning yeah. it on these people who are fucking terrible. So yeah. you don't give a shit about any of these people who no. die. No. <laughs> because they've already burned his wife. They are just like a They're weird fucking people. cult. Talk about the song. Wh- which one? The one that you never thought would be in a movie. Oh, fucking shit. I need to find out the name exactly. Yeah. Of that. You know what? I'm going to look up the name yeah. of that song. So Nicolas Cage, he's up on a mountain. He's overlooking, you know, all right, what am I going to have to do? Sees a person cleaning a car, sees the giant triangle church, and then uh, sees another guy just chilling out. So he's he's getting a scope of what is to come. Uh, the next scene you hear a song uh john knows the song but c- kind of doesn't he does and he doesn't he he knows you know it's like when you know a song from your childhood but you can't remember the fucking name you for know your it life. but you don't know it <laughs> you know you recognize the melody and the beat but the the title yeah i can't seem to find it but, but it's a, essentially it's uh yeah. it's a mexican song you'll definitely hear at like your kid's fucking birthday party and it's like all <laughs> the old mexican dudes are drinking and like listening to the song and singing along and what's funny about it is it's just that weird white dude from earlier in the band who's putting the window up and down cleaning his car to the song and then out of fucking nowhere this axe comes flying across the screen and plants itself in his skull and so you then have like the silhouette of the axe hitting him and the blood splurting everywhere mm-hmm. and that's oh, how so that's how that guy gets killed <laughs> and then john's favorite part and a lot of people's favorite dude movie. Yeah. there's a full-on chainsaw battle in this movie <laughs> a chainsaw duel that goes on and it's like you know he shows up he's trying to start the chainsaw and it's like a medium-ish size chainsaw yeah. they're the chainsaws he works with too at work yeah, yeah he's totally used to it he knows what it is and then the dude he approaches pulls out an even bigger chainsaw that is longer it's gets ridiculous it started so on the first try and is ready to duel and this movie just goes full fucking rage mode with both of them fighting and they like run towards each other the both of the chainsaws lock with each other and start to spark while they fucking scream at each other and that's like your intro to this sort of final duel that he had because he doesn't really fight jeremiah sand at the end yeah it's like this is the guy he was really like meant to fight actual fight yeah Yeah, and they just fucking go on a chainsaw battle until he manages to get the guy to stumble onto the chainsaw that's on the ground the guy smacks the chainsaw out of his hand and and he uh, throws the chain around his neck yeah throws the chain around his neck and then Hey, you, you know that fucking chainsaw you made me drop? Well, here, fucking land on it. <laughs> yeah, it pulls him down onto the chainsaw. It's awesome. Which makes for this scene where you have an above shot of the guy's body falling onto the chainsaw while he's, like, shaking and convulsing, and then there's just red spray coming out from under him because of the chainsaw. And so at that point, everyone except for Jeremiah Sand and then the older woman who was with him mm-hmm. are both still alive. 
And so this is Mama where, yeah. Sand, I'm convinced this is mom. Uh, yeah. It's kind of, I, well, I she was know, one of man. his lovers. She yeah. says oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, Never like, mind. Never mind. Jeremiah says that I am. Oh my God, his the best creepiest lover. line. So he's creepy. He's never had anyone else like me in bed oh before. My yeah, God. she's like, I'm the most sensual lover because of my empathy. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> he ba- she basically tries to because he walks. Him, yeah. he walks into the, the the old church and starts descending throws, lower. Throws the book. Yeah, throws the book yeah, off to the, the side after Jeremiah. looking at the book of Jeremiah. Like, I love that. He's just like, what is this shit? And just yeah. drops <laughs> it off the podium. I will learn nothing from these pages. <laughs> and then he just goes down. Um, he encounters um, the old the old woman who's in a room with a lantern and like a like, like a, a like beach a scene. scene like a beach yeah the beach a beach scene on the wall next to her and that's like all she lives next to basically right um, it looks like an advertisement to me out of like on a billboard or something yeah, like that yeah, like yeah. take your vacation now and so she's <laughs> doing that so she basically hits on him. Or tries to seduce him, I well, would imagine. Well, she, like, goes up to him and, like, starts touching his chest, telling him about how she's such a great lover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it cuts to the scene of him encountering Jeremiah. And, and he throwing her, throw head her head at him. Yeah. Into the scene. And he flips out. I think he even, like, squeals a bit and is just like, oh, like, yeah. what, is, what is this? And, and then goes into the... The full narcissistic cult leader mode where he's just like, I'm better than you. Like, you'll never understand what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, he's like, you're supposed to be kneeling before me. I love that. He is like his hand fucking uh, red has his hands around Jeremiah Sands head and is just getting ready to fucking crush his skull. And he's just it. like, no, no, you're supposed to be kneeling in front of me. And then he starts doing it. He's like, dude, come on, man. I'll fucking suck your dick, dude. I'll, I'll fucking blow you, man. I'll blow you, man. That's so funny. Uh, that was easily one of the funniest changes because he's just like, he knows he's about to get killed. And he's just like, man, man, I'll just suck your dick. Please let me go. Like, don't kill me. <laughs> Uh, and then he goes full fucking the mountain from Game of Thrones and crushes his fucking he, head. Yeah, and his eyeball pops out yep. and everything. Oh, Rage it's so barbarian. fucking good. Well, it's super funny because it transitions into like an obviously fake head mm-hmm. that he must have just crushed in his hand. And it's just whoop. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, and it's, it, it's even funnier that way because to me it's just super campy. Yeah, exactly. Like show it's great, like though. It's so and good. And so, yeah, just crushes his head, drops his body, and then is able to leave. And the final scene is him getting back into his car and seeing After like lighting a, the whole church on fire. That's it true. Burns. He lights everything in there on fire, leaves, gets in the car. And then he has like a vision or like an apparition of his wife show up in the car next to him. And then the flashback of him meeting her yep. for the first time, wearing his favorite wearing shirt. His favorite you find shirt, out that his favorite shirt. Cute. Yeah, it was cute. This favorite shirt is his favorite shirt because he was wearing it on the first night that he met his wife. Yeah, and, then, and um, everybody went oh watching yeah. it. <laughs> After watching a bloodbath, we all just went oh He's the sweetest then, man. Uh, I believe what it is is the shot of him taking Mandy home the first time he's ever saw her. Yeah, and then going back to looking at Nick Cage, and he's fucking. I love this shot so much. <laughs> he's bloodied and fucking frayed and just yeah. disgusting, but he's. He's his wide eyed and just holding it down, and then big smile. He looks back at Mandy again, and this oh, giant really smile. <laughs> well, even after that, he's like still super hyped on everything, and yeah. he's like ready to leave. And then what's cool is that the scene that you heard described earlier, the one that Murr read, the primordial sky, is what you see. He is driving away from this scene. Volcan- volcanoes yeah. erupting. Yeah, you know. 
three or four planets up in the sky. It's very sci-fi. Yep. Goes, yeah. It goes straight into the credits, which have no music. Yeah. And then an interesting bit at the end. Yeah, we. I've never noticed this, but it's just a static image of Mandy's drawings. Yeah. But there are sound clips of birds playing. And, yeah, uh, very peaceful. One of the drawings is Nick Cage in his favorite T-shirt with the tiger right behind him. Yep. Um, and the you see the tiger kind of transition one of the scenes where it like roars in front of a moon in front of the moon Some metal yeah. shit mm-hmm. so yeah they're totally there's so much it's so much the, metal yeah. like a lot of the a lot of the uh, um what is it what is it like title cards and stuff like even the Mandy title card when it first appears the yeah, hour into the death movie metal band. is the it looks it looks like it could be a blacker death metal band yeah. like easy it's so good I love the title cards in this like they're oh, they're super nice. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, well, they're like, uh, they're like fantasy. Yeah. For the credits. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. (laughs) So he does survive. He survives through the whole thing, but not not without his wife. But you know, what was weird about it was that, uh, because of this weird world that they got dropped into, uh, I almost wonder if the whole story was just fake. Like none of it is true. And it was just like a retelling that someone was, you know, you know, it'd be crazy. If it were the book that Mandy was Yeah, reading. exactly. You know, the, the like other chapters in the book or some weird interpretation. Either way, he survives all the way through and you get a really satisfactory revenge film where he gets for sure gets revenge for his wife mm-hmm. getting killed. My favorite Nick Cage movie, Easy. <clears throat> oh, he was yeah. born to play Easy. this role. Yeah, definitely. He was probably stoked when they told him about it and he was like, yeah, no, I got it. Like, I'll definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys remember, you know, Wicker Man. Yeah, I, I've, I've dealt with Colts. <laughs> Fucking Wicker Man. Yeah. Not the bees! <laughs> See, that's the problem, though. Like, everyone's like, ah, uh, Nick Cage, I can't think of serious. But when he does something like this, I'm like, dude, come on. Nick Cage can. Nick Cage has performance in him. He yeah. can. He is really good. I don't know why people hate on him so much, It's because he has a wide variety of movies that he's in. He's yeah. been in a lot of shit. Yeah. And uh, they usually reference, like, one movie to, like, showcase his entire... Yeah, it's usually Wicker Man. I'm like, have you not seen Lord of War? But (laughs) (laughs) there's other things. Did you guys have any final thoughts on the movie? Things you really liked or we missed? Um, Mitch, you want to go ahead first? Um, The soundtrack is phenomenal. Yeah. The cinematography is phenomenal. The storyline is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) All the pieces came together. It's a really fun movie. You know, I don't think we're going to see it like at – who cares about the Oscars, really? But you're not going to see it win any awards or no. anything like that. But yeah. it's a great fucking movie. Definitely. Uh, as an idea and as a project, a beautiful thing that was created. It is awesome. Um, it did not do well in the box office, unfortunately. It had a budget of $6 million and only made $1.5. So here's me plugging them in. You could buy all sorts of fucking crazy ass merch at their website because hell, God knows they need the money. Yeah, get but them, give them money. It's it's honestly worth it because it is such a good story. It is such a good pace. Uh, well, it's pretty good pace. But the thing is, like the effects, the editing, the cinematography, like Mitch is saying, like it's fucking awesome. And when it ramps the fuck up, it ramps the fuck up. And it's a great movie to watch with friends, especially because. You could laugh at the funny parts. You could fucking dig the horror parts and yeah. the action. So watch this one with some friends because you'll have more fun with it that way. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth a watch on your own because mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I watched it by myself and I really enjoyed it. And then watching it again, I was able to notice other bits of it and then right. to have like the audience reaction for it was really funny. So it's definitely a good one to add on to a list of things to watch. 
especially now that we're in October and we're getting so close to Halloween. And, and the <laughs> thing is, it's it's not critically acclaimed, but it is a cult movie as of now already. Yeah, definitely it, a cult classic. And it deserves that cult classic, you know, fucking accolade. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and it was – we had mentioned it too when we watched Revenge where we're like, oh, if you're going to watch Revenge or you're going to watch Mandy, go watch one or the other. And you'll definitely enjoy the same element because I, I there's Mandy so many similarities. Yeah, I think Mandy is better. Uh, yeah. There was a lot more to it as far as like that lore goes. Mm-hmm. But Revenge was just like badass yeah, because exactly. of how cool she was in that. And so it's a, it's a different mix of things. I think it's well worth the watch. Just about two hours for the movie, so it's not terribly long. But you don't feel like you're watching a two-hour movie when no. you watch it. It felt like it was too short, actually. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like there I wanted to been keep more. going. There needs to be some more deaths. There needs like... to be a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there needs to be a Mandy TV show. Right. How awesome would that be if you yeah. had a cool-ass TV show like that? Kind of. It kind of. This could have been like a. This could have been like a Conan story or something like that. That's what I was thinking too. It definitely could have been. You know, you've got your really like, really like, you got your very simple-minded like, like protagonist. Yep. Who's just living his life, and then someone comes through and fucks his it's shit up. Uh, yeah. And then he just goes and murders all of them. A modern retelling of Conan. Yeah, modern retelling of Conan. <laughs> Nick Cage plays Conan. I could see that happening. Yeah. It uh, definitely works out. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, definitely. I would recommend go watch it mm-hmm. because uh, it's well worth the time that you're going to spend watching it. Mm-hmm. It had been on my list for a long time before I decided to watch it. And my friend brought over the, the Blu-ray of it. And yeah, if you do watch it. a version, watch the Oh, Blu-ray. yeah, try to find the extended version because there's a few extra lines that get dropped in that are much more satisfying to hear uh, because they're tied into the story, so the narrative really closely. It wasn't like... Uh, they were adding in this extra 10 minutes of scene that you didn't need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were, I'm surprised they actually ended up cutting certain parts, I guess just because, you know, when like you're cutting off just the little tidbits of things to make it just right. I feel like that's what they were doing with some of these lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty much it. Did you guys have any other final thoughts? Nope. No. Nope. Go watch it. Right. Go watch it. Yeah, so that's my thought. Before I let everyone go, I just want to remind you guys, we're super easy to find. We're on all of the streaming services. So go and look for just just Google or look at any of the streaming services, bringing down the Grindhouse. And then on Instagram and Facebook, or I'm sorry, Instagram and Twitter, is the letters B-D-T-G-H underscore podcast and you'll be able to find us on instagram as well as twitter and of course we have our facebook page that you can join and follow us and comment on all the things that we're putting up there and so make sure you leave us some interesting recommendations we love having more things added to our schedule as well as answering comments on things we might have missed because this is a long movie i'm sure we've missed certain things in it but thanks for coming out to talk with me you guys hope everyone has a good night have a good night